All right, so let's begin uh, with our topic of uh, biblical manhood and womanhood. Um, and I know, uh, as the old phrase goes, right, I'm preaching to the choir. Um, so this isn't, you know, none of this is going to be new to any of you, probably, and I probably won't get any disagreements. Um, but as I said at the beginning, as apparently, apparently the other choir didn't understand. Yeah, the choir didn't understand. <laughs> So, uh, but as I said when we started this series, I mean, my, my plan was to go through um, basic foundational truths for our church. So I know that a lot of these talks haven't been new to a, a lot of you all. Maybe you've learned a thing or two about them, but I know that justification by faith alone was not new. Um, but but I'm, I'm wanting to go through, you know, foundational doctrines, and the, the hope is at some point all of these can be compiled together. And as new people come to our church, we can sort of, you know, hand this to them and say, you might want to listen to these uh, talks that um, we sort of started uh, the church around. Um, and so that's what I want to do to have a discussion about this topic of biblical manhood and womanhood, because there is a lot of confusion about it. I mean, there's been confusion about it, you know, at least since the 1960s. Um, but now in an era of, you know, gender identity confusion and, you know, it's, it's gotten even worse. Um, you know, it's, it's gotten to where now it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to define what a woman's role is if half of society can't even define what a woman is. Um, now we're not going to go into that area. You know, we're, this isn't a discussion on gender identity, um, although we could, you know, spend hours talking about that as well. Um, we want to talk about uh, biblical manhood and womanhood, and we're starting with the assumptions that we know what a man is and we know what a woman is, and we know that God created two genders, right, male and female, um, Adam and Eve. And uh, so when we... So I want to deal with one and then, and then the other. Um, biblical manhood, what does that mean? Because I use that phrase a lot, and, and others do as well. There's, there's books that are titled that, you know, biblical manhood. There's the Council on Biblical Manhood and Biblical Womanhood that was started by Wayne Grudem and John Piper, I think. They wrote a really thick book on it. Uh, so what do we mean by biblical manhood? We mean that um, a man in the way that God intended for men to behave. Uh, that a, a man knows his roles and responsibilities, he carries those out, and those are defined by Scripture. Um, and when we talk about biblical womanhood, we're talking about the idea of a woman uh, knowing and embracing the role that God has created for women. Um, so starting with the man, I mean, if we're going to talk about biblical manhood, you have to start in creation. Um, right in creation in Genesis chapter 2, <laughs> verse 15, this is right after God creates the man. Genesis 2.15 says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it 
right? to work it in, to keep it. Um, shamar, uh, um, which is uh, abad, uh, to keep or to guard. Um, um, so you have shamar and abad, to work and to keep or to guard. Those are the two Hebrew words. And so to keep, that word in the Hebrew, when it says to keep it, another way that that could be translated is to tend it, right? He was to keep it. He was to tend to it. He was to tend to the garden. He was to, you know, to nurture it. Um, Because, you know, there are some plants that we know, uh, and I'm not a horticulturalist, so um, don't get me to trying to name them. You know, there are some plants that, they really do have to be pruned if they're going to be healthy. There are some fruit trees that, that need to be pruned regularly if they're going to be healthy and produce fruit. Certainly, this would have been a part of Adam's job. That's not a result of the, the fall, having to tend to certain plants or fruit trees. You know, the result of the fall is that the ground no longer works with man, but works against man, right? Um, pre-fall, uh, can you imagine farming and everything just turns out great all the time because because creation works with you so adam's job was to was to tend to the garden and everything in the garden um that would include the animals as well um he was given remember god creates everything all of the animals there are animals in the garden and then god creates adam and says your job is to tend to all of this right nurture it make sure that it is well kept and to guard it, to keep it, to protect it um, from what? At the time, uh, you know, you, that's a question that we could ponder. Like, what was he supposed to guard it from if there was no sin in the world? We don't know. Um, ultimately, the devil, right? Because we know that he was in the world. Um, but Adam apparently doesn't ask questions. His job is to keep and tend the garden. Um, and so then you see, it's after that that God creates Eve. In verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the command to guard and keep, to nurture and protect, is given to the man. It's not given to Adam and Eve. And that that right there is where Christians get confused because we tend to think, a lot of Christians think, that that's given to both of them. It's not given to both of them. God doesn't look at Adam and Eve and say, you two keep and protect the garden. He says that to Adam. Then he creates Eve. And God does it this way on purpose. He then creates Eve in the garden, brings her to the man. The message is clear, right? Now, the woman is a part of the garden. She is in the garden. So, Adam, your job is to tend to her, to nurture her, um, to ensure that she develops spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically in a healthy, protected environment. His job is also to protect the woman as well. Um, And this is where, you know, when you get to the fall, that's where Adam blew it. I mean, the first big mistake that he makes is that when the serpent is engaging Eve, he stands there and says nothing. And we know that he's standing there because in chapter 3, every you in the Hebrew is in the plural. 
when, when, when uh, the serpent is talking and says, did God actually say, you shall not eat? That you is in the plural. Um, and then when the serpent then responds, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. That you is in the plural. Throughout, every time the serpent talks and says you, it is consistently in the plural. He's talking to more than one, right? So he's talking to Adam and Eve. Um, Adam is simply standing there and allowing Eve to engage. So he failed to protect um, Eve at that point. So that's, that's a creation ordinance. And I think that's an important thing to realize is that the role and responsibility given to the man is not something that comes at Mount Sinai with the giving of the law. This is a creation ordinance prior to the fall, which means that it by default applies to all men in every, on every continent and in every religion. This is the responsibility of every man um, if he gets married. Um, and even if he doesn't, when we take into consideration the fifth commandment to honor your mother and your father, um, we know from just biblical examples that it was also the job of the, the oldest male to care for his widowed mother, right? Um, Jesus sets the greatest the example. While he's hanging on the cross, he ensures that Mary is cared for. And he looks at John and says, behold your mother. And he looks at Mary and says, behold your son. John gets the point, right? We're told that he then took Mary home with him. He cared for her, right? So Jesus, being the oldest son of Mary, was going to ensure that his mother is taken care of. And most scholars believe she was probably a widow um, by that point. Many think that Joseph probably died uh, uh, in, in Jesus' teen years at, at some point. We know he's alive when he's 12 um, because they both misplace him in Jerusalem. Um, but then he's never mentioned after that. That's the last time Joseph is ever mentioned. Um, so she's probably a widow, and Jesus recognizes his responsibility um, as a man. This doesn't change as we get to the New Testament. Uh, you know, the, the role of, uh, of, of nurturing and protecting, um, when we flip over to, of course, the key passage, Ephesians chapter 5. Right, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. Scripture says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, those are powerful words. He's saying Christ is the example. The way in which Christ loved the church and sacrificially gave himself for her, for her benefit, for her protection, for her safety, for her nurturing. Um, that is what husbands are to strive to do for their wives, to love their wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her. Now, it's, there's a double meaning that is going on here. On the one hand, Paul is talking about the relationship between Christ and the church. He's describing that relationship. But in describing that relationship, he's saying this relationship between Christ and the church is the model for the relationship between husbands and their wives. And we get that from that, that first sentence, just as Christ loved the church. Okay, so then the question is, well, how does Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. Right, he gave himself up for her. 
sacrificially died on the cross for her sins. But more than that, Paul goes on, this is also how Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify her, right, make her holy, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, right? Christ is the word. Christ gave us the word through the Holy Spirit. He ministers the word of God to us so that we might become holy, um, so that we might become sanctified. And why does he do all of that? So that he might, so that Christ might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Then he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives, right? So Paul is talking about the relationship between Christ and the church and then says, husbands, this is how you should strive to love your wives by sacrificing for them, right? Sacrificially loving them um, um, and by washing them with the water of God's word. It's one of the reasons historically the reformers, the reformed faith has placed a, a high emphasis on family worship. I mean, you find that everywhere when you read reformed theology, when you read the Puritans, there is this emphasis on fathers leading their families in family worship time because it is the job of husbands and fathers to minister the word of God to their wives and children, to be the primary teachers of the wives and the children. It's one of the reasons I'm always recommending to husbands, read theology, right? Um, especially if you're married to a woman who loves to read theology, you have got to stay a step ahead, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you married a challenge and she ought to just inspire you, right? I mean, in a good way. She, she challenges you, challenges you to study God's word. Um, and so often it's sad, uh, you know, in my experience, most men don't read. They don't like to read. You give them a book that's more than 100 pages and doesn't have words, and they're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of words in there, right? Um, this is all the result of the fall, right? And that's, I, I do believe that's the result of the fall. Once sin came into the world, men just immediately took their responsibilities not seriously. Um, they just sort of abdicated their responsibility uh, to be the primary teacher of the family, of the wives, of the children. That is what they are to be striving uh, to do. And then he goes on to explain uh, that they ought to love their wives just as they love their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, right? We are the body of Christ. He's still using that example. The church is the body of Christ. Christ nourishes the church. He cherishes the church. He sacrifices for the church. This is what husbands ought to be doing for their wives, right? We ought to be nourishing them, cherishing them, sacrificing for them. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold his wife, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, right? So Paul admits it, it, it is a mystery how they become one flesh. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, it let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So that's a weighty passage that most men um, just would rather ignore, would rather not believe is there. Um, the passage right before it, verses 22 to 24, talks about wives submitting to their husband, and that admittedly 
is a difficult calling for wives to submit to their husbands. Uh, yes? I was going to say what you're mentioning there very clearly, at least from my knowledge, whatever that may be, is like one of the key issues that has created the problems inside the church. Yeah. You mean divorce, for one thing. Yeah. And it's not the only problem that's created, but weak, weak men, weak need men, it's like. Right. It's like, it's like letting, letting the, the sheep out the pasture and yeah. they have no idea what they're supposed to do. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We have, where well, the church is filled with weak men um, that are not willing to just um, acknowledge what the responsibility and roles are and, and then strive to live those out. Um, but this is, you know, what women are called to do in, the, in, in verses 22 to 24 is weighty. What men are called to do is equally, if not more, weighty. And it's oftentimes hard to see it that way. But the, pa- the verse that drives it home is where he says in verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Right? There's going to come a time when men are going to have to give an account for everything that God has entrusted to them. It's the parable of the talents, right? Jesus says a a master went off and he gave to one servant one talent, to another two and to another five. And then he comes back and says, what did you do with the things that I've given you, right? The talents in that parable represent everything that God gives to us that we are to use for his glory. And so in the case of men who are married, that includes our wives, that includes our children. And someday we're going to have to give an account. What did you do with the wife that I gave you? Did you nurture her? Did you administer the word of God to her? Did you shepherd her? Did you strive to lead by example? Um, or did you just not really care and figure, well, that's the pastor's job, you know, or that's the, that's the, uh, the, women's, the, the women's pastor job or, or whatever. Um, we're going to have to answer to God for how we shepherd um, our wives. Um, this is such an important responsibility for men that I've always been, uh, I've always, uh, well, for a very long time, I felt the weight of First Peter, First Peter three, three, First Peter three, yeah. First Peter three and and uh, you know you start at verse one and um, you know he starts off by again talking about the role of wives you know wives be subject to your own husbands uh, so that even if some do not obey the word they may be one without a word etc etc I'll come back and touch on that right now I'm focusing on the men but after he goes through all of that which you know some women kind of squirm when they read this like oh my word really you get to verse seven and then he says. In one verse, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Right? This kind of language you never see communicated toward women in the anywhere in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible are women told, "Look, you need to, you know, um, submit to your husband or treat your husband a certain way." Or basically, God's not going to answer your prayers. You don't, you don't see that. You don't see that women are responsible for their husbands. 
they have a, they have a responsibility to pray for their husbands, right? To be their accountability partner, uh, just as any Christian should be. We should be each other's accountability partner. But at at the bottom line is, if we understand Ephesians five correctly, if a man and woman are married, and the husband goes down this theological heretical road. God does not hold the wife responsible for that. He holds her responsible. Are you praying for him? Are you trying to live out the gospel in front of him? Are you trying to do what Peter talks about in, in 1 Peter uh, 3.1? Uh, be subject to your husband so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Are you living out the Christian faith so that your lifestyle convicts them? They have a responsibility to do that. But they're not responsible for their husbands abandoning the faith or going down the road of heresy. But husbands are. If a wife reads stuff she shouldn't be read, reading, listens to things she shouldn't be listening to, watching stuff she shouldn't be watching, and the husband just says, well, I don't know, that's between her and God, right? That's none of my business. It's a personal relationship between her and Christ. That is the wrong answer because God will hold husbands responsible for how their wives develop spiritually. Um, it, it falls on us, and that's a weighty responsibility. So also with the children, right? Um, what happens with the children lands on the burden of husbands and fathers um, because it is our job to shepherd the family. Um, yeah, Bobby. You're, you're kind of hitting the point in a, in a roundabout way, but for me, I always found it, and I talk about it a lot, Margo and I actually talk about this, not like every five minutes, but occasionally. It's always very interesting because men, it's kind of like, you know, the book written, Men Are From Mars, if you right. kind of like, we're like, we're like the doofuses. We have to be commanded to love our wives. We're commanded to love our wives. Right. Women are never, anyone in scripture, commanded, quote, unquote, to love their husbands. Right. Right. Which is an interesting point because, well, but yeah, weaker vessel, well, weaker in how. Right. Uh, but a woman will naturally love a husband. If everything is on the above board with right. the word of God, right. the man's doing what he should do, that respect will develop. And then from that, right. the love will yeah. build. It just comes. Right, right. And that's so, I mean, to me, that's, so right. impo- that's such an important point yeah. to me. Because well, they each, each, uh, each gender has their struggles. Um, you're, you're right about that, that you don't see where wives are commanded to love their husbands, but husbands are commanded to love their wives, right? But what we do see in Ephesians 5.33, for example, Scripture commands, however, let each one of you, husbands, love his wife as himself. So there it is again, right? Love his wife. It's a command. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. That's where women struggle. I've talked to enough of them that they can struggle with respecting their husband um, because of various reasons. He doesn't make as much as he should. He doesn't spend as much time. He's just, he doesn't walk on water. He's not perfect. He makes dumb decisions or decisions that I just disagree with. Even when they turn out right, I'm mad that he didn't listen to me. Um, you know, they, they can struggle with that. And husbands can struggle with loving the wife. And so it's interesting that Paul doesn't repeat this. It's, it is very interesting. Paul is very insightful. He understands, husbands, this is where you struggle. You need to love your wife. Love your wife as much as you love yourself, because men, most men, naturally, are quite selfish, right? Love your wife as much as you love yourself, 
But then he says, wives, respect your husbands, right? And that can be a challenge for a lot of women. Um, Because the challenge, again, women have a challenging role, right? You go back to the garden. So we go all the way back again to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Right? So he creates the woman as a helpmate, um, someone who is a, a mirror image of him, a reflection of him, as it were, and, he, and she is formed out of Adam. That's also telling. Um, I had this conversation with uh, uh, my kids um, earlier today, I think it was, or maybe yesterday, we were talking about Adam and Eve. Um, you know, that Adam, Adam himself, is the federal representative of all of humanity, right? God doesn't create Eve separately. He doesn't form dirt and make Eve. He takes Eve from Adam because Adam is the primary representative, which is also interesting then that when Satan is tempting the woman, his ultimate goal is the man. If he is going to get all humanity to fall into sin, which is what he wants to do, he has got to get Adam to sin, and he goes through the woman to do it, right? He goes through the woman to do it. Now, that's, that's not, um, that's not uh, a, a slight against women. It's actually a slight against both, right? Because what, he, what, what Satan somehow understood is that Eve is going to be more than willing to sort of talk out of turn, and Adam has a weak spot for Eve, right? He has a weak spot for her. This continues to be a struggle in many marriages. Um, I can't tell you over the years uh, how many men have come to um, uh, churches that I pastored and, and, and loved it. They loved the preaching. They loved the Reformed theology, but we can't stay. Why? My wife isn't happy. Um, well... I mean, if you think this is the best church for your family, yeah, I know, but you know, I got to live with her. I mean, I don't know. Um, but there is that she doesn't want to stay here. We're moving on. Um, men can struggle with that. It can be difficult for men to take that leadership role, especially if they have a wife that won't allow them to take that leadership role. Um, and this is where working together, not as partners, but working together in our respective roles brings the greatest glory to God. It is the husband's responsibility to lead, to guard and protect, and it is the wife's responsibility to help him lead and guard and protect. Yes? Question. Would you say, um, you talk about become one flesh. Um, before the fall, Adam and Eve, okay, before Satan yeah. intervened, would you say that they were one in flesh? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And then at the fall, there was a separation. Well, they were still one in flesh because they were married. Just, were just like we live post-fall, and when we get married, the two become one flesh. I just mean, in a spiritual sense, though, there was, there was sort of a division. The relationship was certainly damaged. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yes. Before that, the relationship, in a sense, was in a was perfect because it was in the Garden of Eden. Right. 
and she was suitable for him, and right. everything's wonderful, and then all of a sudden, boom. Right, okay. I just wanted to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And you see that as a part of the curse. Um, um, uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 16, when he's cursing the woman, the second half of verse 16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I don't think that's a very good translation. The New American Standard words it better. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall... Now, now that, you know, when we read that, you know, by itself, you go, well, what does that mean, right? Your desire will be for your husband. Um, well, we get our understanding when you look at chapter 4, talking about Cain and Abel, right? Uh, Cain murders his brother, and then God is rebuking him, and... Um, uh, da, da, da. Is it verse 7? Yeah. Okay, so God is rebuking him. And right, he says, uh, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is contrary to you. The, the Hebrew literally says, Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So now we have a little better understanding, right? Um, sin's desire is for you but you have to rule over it. Well, that clearly means sin's desire is to rule you, Cain. It's to control you. It's to dominate you. That is still sin's desire for us today, right? That's what sin desires to do. That exact same Hebrew wording is what God uses when he's talking to Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. So in other words, she will no longer have a natural desire to submit to his leadership. She will have this desire that she will have to fight against, this desire to want to rule her husband, to dominate him, to control him. And that's something that women have to fight against. Um, and that's where sin created this friction within the relationship. That very thing you're talking about is what I refer to. That's what brings about what I refer to as non-biblical assertive women. Right. Right. Non-biblical assertive women. Yeah. I mean, being assertive is okay, but in the right way and in the right sphere, right? right. We want them to be assertive with the children. Um, right. We want them to be assertive with other women who are not being biblical um, and correct them gently and lovingly. Right. So it, it depends on which, but being overly assertive in areas that they ought not to be creates a problem. And, and, and it's not just, again, it's not just a, a slight against women because the problem is also created by men in the church being willing to let them lead, you know, being willing to abdicate their responsibility and say, you know, well, we don't have any men in the church that want to be deacons. So, but we got plenty of women that are serving. They're, Let's just make them deacons. Right? Um, we don't have any men that want to teach a Bible study. I've learned it is incredibly hard to find a man that will lead a Bible study. But there's a lot of women out there that are more than happy, and there are a lot of men that are more than happy to let them and say, well, we got women that want to teach the Bible. Let's just let them do it. Well, why not? Again, that's a result of the fall. What sin brought into the human race is this, this willingness to step out of our role, both for the man and the woman this willingness, this desire to step out of our role. Um, women have a desire to want to uh, uh, be the dominant uh, person in the relationship. And men, by and large, 
have a, a willingness to say, sure, you know, you pay the bills, you run the house, you know, I'll go to work and come home and you take care of everything. You just tell me what to do, honey, and I'll just do it. Um, but that down the road leads to a lot of friction. It, it leads to a lot of stress in marriage. Marriages set up like that typically do not last very long, um, even in the unbelieving world. Um, at, at some point, women will grow tired of spineless men. Um, even among unbelieving marriages. I just, I couldn't help it. Don't look at me. Her expression was incredible. Right. Right. That's, it's not, because, because they weren't, innately designed that way right at the end of the day at the end of the day there is a part of our soul in every human being that longs for the garden that wants to go back to the garden that wants to go back to a world of harmony and peace um that's that's why human beings are um god worshipers by nature I mean, human beings will worship something. We are spiritual beings because we were designed that way. And so even though sin has corrupted every part of our soul, there is that part of us that knows that God is real, that knows that there's got to be something beyond this life and longs for the garden. Um, and so ultimately, they're deep down inside, most women long for a man who will lead and most men long for a woman that will respect him and come alongside him and support him. Um, when they can't find that, they'll compromise and they'll try to do what the world tells them that they should do. Be okay with a domineering wife. Just let her run everything. That's, that's quite all right. That's what we get on television, all of the sitcoms. That's what's communicated, right? The wife runs everything. The husband's the dope who just comes home and doesn't know where the knives are, you know. And that's, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. And so people, at least in the Western world, will try to live that out, and it's, it's, an, it's a failure. It's a complete failure. And that's what's wrong with society. Because as, families, as marriages fall apart, families fall apart. And as families fall apart, society falls apart. And when societies fall apart, nations crumble, Right? Uh, and it's all because we're not getting this right. And this whole gender identity confusion that is going on, it's, it's just spiraling out of control at, at this point. Um, so the woman was created to be the helper for Adam. Helper to do what? To do what God has commanded him to do. God gave Adam commands. So, you know, the conversation would have gone something like this. Okay, I'm created to be your helper. What does that mean? Well, Adam will say to her, well, I'll show you what I need done, right? There's all of this. These need to be taken care of. This is what I'm doing. This is how I spend my day. I need you to help me do these things, right? So the role of the wife is to come alongside the husband and help him be successful in what God has called him to be, whatever that may be, whether it be ministry, secular employment, whatever it is, to come alongside him and say, how can I help you be successful in what God has called you to do, not just out in the working world, but in here, within the home? How can I help you be successful at being 
spiritual leader, leading family worship. Do you want me to just gently remind you, hey, are we going to do family worship again? You know, and be that maybe he's got so much on his mind, he wants to do it, but boy, it just, it just escapes him. And he needs that gentle reminder from his helper. Let's do family worship, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Let me get my Bible. Let's do that again, right? That's the role of the wife to do what she can to help him do what God has called him to do. Um, and there are very active ways that, uh, that wives can do that. I won't go off on this story. I'll share it later. But one of my favorites is Beatrice Patton and how she uh, helped George S. Patton. Most historians believe he definitely would not have become a four-star general if it wasn't for his wife, Beatrice. Um, but that's another story that I'll share uh, afterward. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, but again, we go to Ephesians, right? And this is why when Paul talks about the role of wives... It's short. It's not insignificant, and it's certainly weighty as well, right? This is a weighty responsibility. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And then he picks up on that illustration when talking about men, right? Um, His body and is himself its savior. Now, as a church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He's doing the same thing. He's using the relationship between the church and Christ. To what extent, to what extent should the church, should Christians submit to Christ? Right? 100% in all things, right? Now, of course, we understand Christ is perfect and everything he asks us to do is the right thing to do. So we understand that that has to be modified to some extent. Uh, Husbands aren't perfect. Wives absolutely should not submit when their husbands ask them to do something that is clearly unbiblical, immoral, unethical, or illegal, right? Because if it's illegal, then it's unbiblical, right? Because Romans 13 commands us to submit to the governing authorities. Um, But I emphasize the word clearly, right? There, there, There are gray areas that when it's debatable, wives ought to give their husbands the benefit of the doubt. Um, I'll give you some examples. I'll just throw out some some examples. Um, You know, uh, wife is convinced, I don't think I have to wear a hat in church. Husband has studied it out. You know what? I really believe you ought to have a hat on. I really do, right? That is an area where the wife should just say, okay, I will wear a hat rather than digging in her heels and making the theological argument, and I'm not convinced in Scripture, and let's debate this out, she ought to give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, But, husband says, you know what? I'm convinced Mormonism is right. We should go to the Church of Latter-day Saints. Right? That's where she has to say, now you're apostatizing. Right? I love you, but that is absolutely wrong, and there is no way I'm converting to Mormonism. Right. Um, so we women have to be clear on where they draw that line. Um, and so when it comes to something that is clear, right, when you're talking about, uh, you know, the, uh, the 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 core doctrines of the Christian faith, uh, wives cannot give into that um, things that are clearly unbiblical in Scripture. You know, honey, we're starving. I need you to go out and steal a car or something like that. Right or go out and prostitute yourself or whatever. 
I mean, no, that is wrong. That is clear. I'm not doing it, right? Um, but those are extreme examples, obviously. And I'm using extreme examples just to try to make a point. But unless it's a clear, a clear line in Scripture, wives, for the most part, should submit to their husbands in everything. Um, unless it's a, a, you know, clearly violating Scripture or against the law, then the answer is, okay, if this is what you think is best. Now, I do believe that doesn't mean wives are to just be yes women, right? Because Eve was created, they were created as a helpmate. And being a helpmate, right, two heads are better than one, especially when you're talking about important decisions, um, when you're talking about career choices. I'm going to guess that Alyssa and Jacob probably talked a lot about, should you apply for this? Should you step away from being a detective, right? Um, but at the end of the day, he has to make the decision. He, he listens to her advice, weighs it, and then has to decide. Ultimately, it, it falls on him. Um, because if the decision goes bad, if, the de- if he does it and ends up miserable and it's just is a terrible choice, he cannot come back and say, this is your fault because I listened to you. Right? Because ultimately, he made the decision to listen. It's his fault. He chose poorly, right? He made the decision. It falls on him. Um, And that's what men have to accept. We listen to our wives. We take their advice or not. um, But if we do and it turns out badly, it's our fault, right? It's our fault. Um, But the other way is true as well, that when there's a discussion... And the husband disagrees with the wife and says, I hear what you're saying, but we're going to do it this way. Um, and it goes badly. Wives have to refrain from, I told you, you should listen to me. Right. Uh, at the end of the day, um, husbands are not omniscient. They weigh everything out. They make the best decision that they can. And what God is commanding in Scripture is that once that decision is made, then wives should support that decision, right? This is your choice. I support it. I'm with you 100%. And even if it goes sideways, look, I'm still with you and I'm not going to you know, beat you over the head about it. We'll just figure out how to get out of it um, because we all make poor decisions and it just, it just happens. Um, but at the end of the day, this is, it's shorter because wives are created as a helpmate for the husband. And so if you're given a helper... Right? If you were at a place of employment, um, and I think everybody in this room was out in the workforce at one point, if you were at a place of employment and someone hired an assistant for you, right? you're so overworked, you got all kinds of stuff to do, I've hired an assistant for you, how helpful would that assistant be if they never did what you told them to do? If they argued with you every time you told them to do something, I don't think we should do it that way. I think, you know, I you, what's that? <laughs> At some point, you'd be telling your boss, can you fire the assistant because they're not helpful. <laughs> What's that? They're not helping me. Right. They're not helping me. So this is why it's shorter. It's still weighty. But Paul is saying, you're there to be a helper to your husband. You have to submit to his leadership. You have to submit to his decisions, to what he wants to have done, the way he wants it to have done, even if it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, And trust me, I've been there. I was in the army. Right. You were in the military. 
I've had lieutenants that made decisions. I thought, that makes no sense in the world. And if we go to combat with this guy, he's going to kill us all. But he's my, he's my lieutenant. So, yes, sir, that's what I'm doing, right? That's what You want me to do that? That's what I'm doing because you're the lieutenant. You got the bars on you. And uh, that's the way the army set it up, right? Well, this is the way God set it up. God says the husband's in charge and the wife is there to follow and to provide support. To that end, you look at 1 Peter First Peter 3 verse 1 likewise wives be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word this is tough because now he's talking about married to a man who doesn't follow the Bible he, he may not even be saved, or maybe he is saved, but he, nah, he's kind of not growing much. He doesn't read the Bible much. He's not maturing spiritually. He's just sort of there. He says, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. What Peter is saying is that the way to win your husband over is not by badgering him, not by beating him over the head with the Bible, not theologically arguing with him, living out the Christian life in front of him, being the one who prays every day, being the one who does a daily Bible reading every day. If the husband won't lead the family in family worship, then the wife gathers the children and says, you know, well, I'm going to do it. And eventually what Peter is saying is that this becomes convicting to him over time as he watches you living it out, as he watches you, you know, your faith on display, it will begin to speak to him. He says, so that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful, there it is again, respectful and pure, holy conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold, jewelry, or clothing uh, to wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Calling him Lord. Of course, that was uh, cultural back then, right? Uh, Peter, I don't think Peter is saying that today you should call your husband Lord. Uh, but, but that was a cultural term back then. Um, that, that's how they would address kings or princes as my Lord, right? So she referred to him basically with a, with a term of respect, and she would refer to him as... as <laughs> he broke the castle. <laughs> I was even trying to short circuit that kind of a conversation. <laughs> um, so, so the husband's job is to, 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 to provide for, to nurture, to care, to protect. Um, and that's, that's seen even in the New Testament. You look at uh, 1 Timothy... 5.8, it's a verse that many a men cringe at. 1 Timothy 5.8, but 
But if anyone does not provide, so here he's talking about how to provide for widows. So here's the context. Honor widows who are truly widows. Verse 3. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So if a widow has children, the children ought to take care of her, right? That, that's their job. That was their social security back then. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his, notice the masculine pronouns. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, not their relatives, his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That, that is a strong statement, right? That's a, that is powerful wording. So the context is this, in biblical times, when, when parents grew old, it fell on the oldest son to care for them, right? The, if they couldn't care for themselves, especially if the dad dies and now she's a widow, it fell on the, and, 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 and typically they lived in multi-generational homes where you would have grandparents and parents and children and grandchildren all living in one home. Right. The oldest, the oldest male, the oldest healthy male, it was his responsibility to care for his household, which would include not just his wife, but also his parents or his elderly mother or whoever. But ultimately, who is Paul giving the responsibility to, to care for that multi-generational household? It's the oldest male, right? It's his responsibility. Um, this is not to say that wives cannot work outside the home. Nowhere in Scripture do we see that that is a sin. Scripture never forbids it. Um, and there are times when wives may have to. Husband gets laid off from work. Uh, suddenly, you know, they, they just shut down a whole plant where he gets injured and can't work for a long time or whatever the case may be. There, there may be times when that is necessary um, but it is what's important that we recognize is that it is the responsibility of the husband to be the provider. And if he can and is able to and is willing to, then the wife should allow that. And it is her primary responsibility to care for the home, right? Titus, Titus chapter 2. Titus Two, three, and following, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And what is good, Paul defines it for us, right? He's not just saying anything anywhere out there that can be deemed as good, you ought to be teaching that. So you ought to be teaching chemistry and geometry and art and music. And that's not what he means. Bible. Right, and Bible. He's being very clear. They are to teach what is good. And what is that? And so train young women to what? Number one, love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure. Same language that Peter uses, right? Uh, adorn yourselves with a, 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 a uh, uh, no, to, he says to, to treat your husband with respectful and pure heart, um, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, 
right? It is the wife's responsibility to focus on the home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And it all hinges on that. Paul says, oh, here's the reason that the word of God may not be reviled. I mean, if we're going to sit here and tell the world we believe this and then not live our lives according to it, what is the world going to think of that? Well, you guys are just a bunch of hypocrites. You say you believe this, but then you don't actually live it out, right? Um, so this is what wives ought to be focusing on. That is, their, that is their sphere of responsibility is the home, the family, the children. Doesn't mean that they cannot work outside the home, but it goes the opposite as well. Even though that is the woman's sphere of responsibility, it doesn't mean that the man cannot help inside the home, right? Because he is to love his wife in a sacrificial manner. That means coming home from a hard day's work at a construction site or whatever, dog tired, dirty, been out in the sun, get home, wife is frazzled, kids are screaming, you know, uh, pots boiling on the stove. <laughs> A husband who loves his wife sacrificially is a husband who says, you know what, I'm tired, but I'll drink a Red Bull and, <laughs> and I'm going to help out, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to dig deep and pull out some energy and help the wife and go to her and say, look, what do you need? You know, I'll, I'll take care of the kids. They're, they're in the bathtub. I'll finish bathing them and you can help out, right? You're willing to help, understanding this is your domain, but I'm going to help in your domain, and I'm willing to do that. And there are times when the wife has to say, this is your domain, right? this is your job, but if you need help, I'll help in some way. But it is important that we understand that the wife ought not to help the husband to the extent that she is neglecting her primary duties. And the, and the husband should not focus on his domain to the extent that he is neglecting his duties. In other words, he's working so much to be the provider that he doesn't have any time for the family. He doesn't have any time for family worship. He doesn't have any time to, uh, to spend time with the wife and nurture her emotionally, take her out to dinner every now and then. You know, he, he cannot, he's got to find that balance. That's his role, but he can't neglect the family. Her role is, you know, focusing on the family and she can help him on his role, but not to the extent that she neglects what she is supposed to be doing as well. Does that make sense? So it's important that we understand what our roles are and that we focus on those stepping into each other's fear when we need to. But ultimately, we have our roles and responsibilities that God has given us. And when we focus on those, that's when the marriage works, when both spouses recognize their roles and responsibilities embrace them and says i will do what i can to fulfill this um and i've seen men do this that that i i really respected i had a a friend who you know was a captain in the army and uh when he got out he had a wife several kids when he got out and moved back to uh, montana the only job he could find was basically stocking at walmart overnight i mean this is a guy who had a four-year degree um, from a very reputable college. He was an, uh, an army captain, lots of leadership experience, but he said, I needed to provide for my family. And he said, so the only job I could get was stocking overnight at Walmart, and that's what I took. And, and he took it, and he was good at it. Now, he ended up finding the better job, 
you know, that was more in line with his career and his training and his leadership ability. But he took his role seriously. And pride got shoved to the side, and I do what I need to do to provide for my family, right? And that's what a man does. Um, that's, that's leadership. Um, and also, but not just in that phrase, but also just theologically, right? I tell men all the time, you may not like reading books, but you have got to read books, right? Listen to sermons, listen to lectures if you'd rather do that. But you have to be learning so that you can be shepherding your family, your wife and your children well. That is our role and responsibilities. Uh, and so I tell wives all the time as well that, you know, if there's ever a point of disagreement between uh, me and your husband, don't you dare tell your husband, well, this is what Pastor Hexen says, you follow your husband's lead, right? He, he, he says, I disagree with the pastor. This is what I believe. You need to give deference to your husband. He is your primary spiritual leader, not me, not me. I shepherd the church on a, on a high level, but your husband is your primary shepherd, and I think that is very important. Well, I think I'm done. There's more I could say, but I'll end right there.